Come on in. Come on. <laughs> Come on in. Welcome, welcome. The slow road to better. Why do we do the slow road to better? Well, we've been lucky where we can talk about it to our our friends, people here at the Stroke Comeback Center, but now then we can tell more people across the world to learn about it. What is the it that we're talking about? Aphasia. Stroke yeah. survivors. Mm-hmm. TBI people. Life moves on. Inspiration. Help listeners. That our inspiration of a bridge of hope. I love it. Trying to help each other a lifeline. Part of it also is we started doing it. It's not because we just wanted to tell everyone to see what happened to us. But also we wanted to get better talking ourselves oh, with the phaser. Sure. And we wanted to one day, it's not going to... Phase is not leaving it, but we'd like to crush it a little bit. Let's listen in. Listen in. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, it sounded a little bit like a choir. <laughs> I'm really excited this morning. We have three very special guests with us today. We have Sarah, Becky, and Jessica. Sarah, Becky, and Jessica, in that order, are a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, and a speech therapist, and they're all from MedStar NRH. And for those or listeners who aren't around here, NRH is National Rehabilitation Hospital. And uh, Sarah, <laughs> Jessica, and uh, Becky are wonderful. How do you know they're so wonderful? Uh, Sarah said, yes. Uh, uh, Sarah is uh, Sarah is wonderful because uh, Sarah just PT and then uh, Jessica is speech, but it was nice. It was so nice, and uh, yeah. Becky is OT. It was so nice too. So are these are these ladies your team? From when you were an inpatient at National yeah, Rehabilitation inpatient, Hospital? Inpatient in hospital. So Kitty arranged for them to be part of our slow road to better. Actually, ladies, why don't you introduce yourself first? What would you like our listeners to know about you? Sarah, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, I'm Sarah. I'm a physical therapist here at National Rehab Hospital. I've been here about four years. Um, I grew up in Miami, Florida and was very sick of the heat. And so I left. Yes, I did it. I left. And you thought the humidity of Washington, D.C. was an improvement? Exactly. Yes, it is absolutely an improvement. <laughs> so and I've what, been here. What's that, Chris? What happened to your arm? Oh, my four-year-old niece is <laughs> um, staying with me and I've colored more than I have in the last 20 years so my gotcha. finger is not feeling so great gotcha. <laughs> sorry about that that's okay it's worth it right <laughs> yes so i'm becky i am an occupational therapist i have worked at medstar for about three and a half years and i've worked on the neural floor for the whole time that i've worked here and so as an ot you know i find it super rewarding 
helping people be able to gain back their independence and get back to kind of the roles and routines that they enjoyed. And so specifically working with Kitty, it was fun. We did a lot of um, nail polish and hair care, um, <laughs> helping her become glamorous again. <laughs> I think that sounds like awesome motivating goals. Totally. Yeah. Well, and I think the fact that she asked you all back tells you that you all did a good job hitting exactly what her goals and interests were. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jessica, how about you? All right, I'm Jessica. I'm one of the speech language pathologists here at NRH. I've been here for about two and a half years. Um, I really love working with people with aphasia. I love trying to help get them to communicate their needs and their interests. I know that working with Kitty was one of the highlights of my time here. Um, it was just so much fun and she's so motivated. So it was, it's so great to see people like that. So with that, I am going to turn it over to the crew. Um, so you have sort of the topics of PT, OT, speech, and you don't have to listen to me for a change, so that's awesome. I'm going to sit back and sip my coffee and let you guys run the show. Sound good? Sure. Yeah. All right. Who's up? So all of you, when I got injured and transferred to shock trauma in Baltimore to you, a lot of what I did for the first three months is basically stretch and it's not even in the um, re uh, rehab center. It is basically in my bed. How do you manage that? So that's a really good question. Oftentimes everyone who comes here is very different. They present differently. So we have to start from what I call the ground up a little bit and everyone's ground is a little different. And so oftentimes we will even jump in together and help kind of treat together or I'll bring someone along with me because I, if I could grow a third arm, I would. Um, so that's or fourth or five. Or, yeah, I, listen, we're not picky. So, right. <laughs> so that's what we do. And we use a lot of equipment to help us. So whatever we can do to help and try to push you guys a little harder. I know Kitty was very nervous in the beginning. I think she knows that. Yeah, I was nervous. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to I also be crying the trust and soaping and crying. Yeah, and so we have to kind of gain your trust. So it's, sometimes it's a little slower than others, understandably. Absolutely. I got, I got pretty lucky because I really had no idea what they were doing. And so, <laughs> me too. After six weeks, I went up to the uh, IIC in Chicago, and the uh, it was like the next day the PT lady came and she was trying to get me to get in the uh, the wheelchair, and I was like just so my whole body was just destroyed, and and she was like, "All right, get in, get in there," and she was like, "It was, it was fun," but by the time I left after four weeks. I was like, well, I was still, I was in the wear chair and I was just going in circles. And that was just, you know, she had made me start from nothing to almost just going better, you know? And I, I think you're right. That's exactly, you just kind of keep going, you, you know, in the beginning. I didn't, you know, I didn't understand this stuff till many years later, but you, 
you can't just sit there and do nothing because that's not going to help you as great, you know. And I, and, I, and I just remember the years when I, I only went to uh, NRAs for a couple months, but they did the same stuff. But it was good because, like you were just saying, for me personally, it was different. Like the stuff I was doing in, with the with the in um, great, I can't Walter Reed. So I think that's really good. We're trying different stuff to help people. I think that's even a good idea. Do you think you could give us an idea for listeners who might have a loved one who's very early on in their recovery? So for someone like Chris and Pat, who both were like, I had no idea what was going on and I pretty much just laid there. Could you give maybe just one basic, easy, something that families could do? So I think, um, you know, during the time when people are allowed to come into the hospital, it definitely is nice to have familiar faces and visitors um, or even people just FaceTiming right now during this time or phone calls. And so depending on kind of like the situation, like Sarah said, working on the neural floor, like we see everything from traumatic brain injury to stroke. So people are going to present with different needs, but some things that I feel like we find helpful are pictures for the room, familiar objects, like a familiar scent of a soap. You know, if people have like a blanket from home, those are all really nice. And then once people are like able to come into the hospital, some things are just like physical touch. Um, Sometimes after a stroke, for instance, you may lose kind of some sensation or muscle control on one side of your body. And so we'll help families with like just gently kind of moving the arm. Um, So there's a bunch of like different things families can do, but I think just those familiar items are really helpful, especially when you are in that kind of early stages of recovery and you're kind of just unaware even of what is going on. It's nice to have some feeling of home in the hospital. And I guess just piggybacking off of that, especially for people with aphasia, if family could provide, you know, talk to the speech therapist and provide a list of just names of family members and just some basic information about the important things in the patient's life, just so that the speech therapist kind of has a jumping off point and knows what to talk about and what kind of language to try to facilitate. And I think the hardest part is time. Time is your best friend and worst enemy when you're in the hospital, it takes time. Oh yeah. And it's never as short as you want it to be. (laughs) So that you just have to remember, you know, to keep pushing forward and it's the slow road to better, right? (laughs) So you just gotta keep on the journey. Mm. And uh, Sarah said that in the hospital, Sarah said that uh, I was crying, right? Uh, But Sarah said, yes, this is suck, sucky. <laughs> Thanks for and, calling me out there, Kitty. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, uh, I think, Kitty, we yeah. let you feel your feels, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel your feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rehab is hard. Rehab is not for sissies. Just Jessica, I, 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 I didn't talk. Uh, Jessica said, uh, what about this? 
what about this? <laughs> okay, what about this? And I just, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, okay, okay. Then, that's when uh, they... What is this? <laughs> yeah, that's like, so I remember that the, um, the speech, they'd have like a, a spoon and be like, is that an apple? And you're like, and you're supposed to be like, uh, either no or yes, because they were trying to figure out like, is your brain? <laughs> I know. I got lucky though; it was good in the beginning. So. So you guys remember more than you think you remember. <laughs> oh yeah, I I was I was remember, but I just didn't I just didn't uh, speaking. In the beginning, you did yeah. start to speak quite a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, in hospital, uh, Sarah, Jessica, Jess, Jessica, or Becky, or uh, uh, Ellie uh, wasn't wasn't speaking because Sarah was Sarah, but I just Sarah, Sarah, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Becky, 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 <laughs> Becky, or, 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 I, I just didn't understand what happened. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I was remembered uh, the, 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 the face, the face, but I, I wasn't sure. Uh, Sarah is Sarah, just like it's a uh, name Sarah, but. Uh, face was remembered, but I just yeah. wasn't. Yeah. I have a, a question about the um, terrible. It's not you. All your names. It's that's my fault. That's not your fault. <laughs> but the um, the 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 PT, because what they did when I was in the hospital, they had me. Um, they told the doctor. He told them my my wife that I should have a uh, music. So when I was in the hospital for six weeks and they just had like a uh, music right there. So all these and put all the songs that I liked back in the day. So I was just sitting there and, and I don't remember at all listening to that music, but my wife said all these songs that I had, is that what they, what they do? Uh, you did that with Kitty a lot. A lot of Britney Spears and Whitney Houston. I know songs. Taylor Swift. <laughs> Those Aren't brought you? out Come her on. sass. Because mm -hmm. that's good, right? It's your brain is waking up. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, yes, songs. It's it's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Britney Spears <laughs> was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and Taylor Swift. <laughs> I think I listened to a lot of you too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, you too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think just kind of going back to what we said, it's something that you used to do before. Um, and so for some people, it just brings back some of those kind of familiar memories. Um, and also like the area of your brain, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, the area that stores kind of your language component for like singing and music is a different part than some of your verbalization. And so it's very interesting, but we'll have people that have a very difficult time speaking, but all of a sudden you put on a song and they can start singing the lyrics. Um, and so it's a very kind of, it's just another tool, the music that we can use. It doesn't work for everybody, but um, it's 
another tool that we have. And I think even for Kitty, there were a couple of common phrases that she was having trouble stating. Um, but we kind of put it to the tune of a Taylor Swift song. And after that, she picked it up and was able to make that request anytime <laughs> she needed it. <laughs> when I was in Chicago, once a week, this two lady would come by in my room and they had a, a piano and a uh, guitar. And they started singing songs and it made no sense because I could sing the songs, even though I could sing. I don't know how, but I could sing these songs back in the 90s or 80s or 90s. And then what they started doing it, she would, with the guitar, she would slow it down. And so by the time I left, I was like, I was like, my name is Pat. And I was like, my wife is Patty. It's like, I need my medicine. <laughs> I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom. Like, they had taught me. But the thing is, I had no, oh, boy, it's an easy word. Bruh. No. There's two parts of the, where you can talk on the, there's two words that are so easy and I can't say them, though. Are you going for brokus? Yeah. I didn't have it. I got destroyed. Got right through. But. Uh, yeah, I just think it's the greatest thing and I sit around and start <laughs> thinking about <laughs> and then after going and then going to the Stroke Comic Center a couple years later, the whole thing is just like, wow. Mike, did you have any questions? Well, I was just thinking about that and I was there once or twice uh, after the stroke and uh, I, I met with our friends in the hospital and it was very, very nice to do that again. You know, once or twice, that's all because we can't do it now. But I like mm -hmm. to do it. And that was very, very good for me to see those people again. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, we love when we see the patients come back or hear from them via like email or something because um, we're with everybody for just a short period of time um, initially yes. and so it's very neat to see like doing this right now is awesome post you know so many like a how long was kitty how long ago were you here kitty uh, it's good i love it here how yeah. long ago how long? were you at uh, nra uh, uh, in, uh five months yeah, I think it's been about a year and a half, Kitty, since you were here, here, staying yeah, here, oh, okay. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think that's roughly it. Well, yeah. right for me, too. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so to see, like, how far you've come, I mean, as a therapist, it's very rewarding. Yeah. And I'm sure, like you mentioned, it's you get a chance to kind of show off your skills and also thank, you know, whoever helped you in the process. Yeah. I was thinking about this, you know, um, there's so much to do right now, you know, but it's very hard because we can't go in the people, you know, mm -hmm. so it's very, very, it's hard to do it now. Maybe later we can do it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope so. So speaking of that, so how do you manage COVID and rehab? And how is it different from four years ago versus now? Well, we look 
like with masks on all the time and goggles now. So like not only if you guys all say like you recognize faces, you not only have like this much of me to remember <laughs> and that's tough. And there's so many of us and depending on people who come in, they might not remember that we're in a pandemic, right? So then it's kind of terrifying for someone to come in looking like this to think like, oh my gosh, like what, who are you? What are you doing? Um, so it just takes a little more time, I would say, to try to get the patients accustomed to what we look like, who we are. I think sound of voice has been really helpful, but not having family members here has been really tough on a lot of families. Mm. So we try to, um, we've been collecting iPads so we can, you know, even if a patient doesn't have a smartphone, they can at least see their loved ones. And they can explain like you're safe, you're in a safe place, you know, this is okay. But I think our looks, I think are the biggest, <laughs> biggest change um, for folks. I, I, I'm thinking about that now. And you're right. If my wife and my kids were not there, that would be very, very difficult. For yeah, me. absolutely. Yeah. And then, so how do you, Obviously, speech is totally different because I talk and listen to therapist mouth mm -hmm. versus you. Obviously, that's totally now is not going to happen. It has been a challenge. Um, I found that at times I'll go to the internet and try to look up a video of someone saying something because sometimes um, it's beneficial, as you said, to see a person's mouth moving when they're saying a word. And that's something I can't really provide right now. So there are some tools, some apps, and just YouTube, which does have some videos available. So I'll try to do that as best I can. Sometimes if there's a very um, set list of words and phrases that I'm working on, I can record myself saying them and then use the video as a reference. Um, but in general, it has been pretty challenging. I think it, um, it makes it a lot harder to be flexible within a session. It takes a little more planning um, to make sure that you're giving what the patients need. So I think, so, so I was there one, two months, okay? Mm -hmm. And okay, and then I went home. But maybe now you can, you have to say more, more because the, you know, more of it, I'm sorry, two months is good, but now three months is better because I can't do anything in my home. So is yeah. that right? Especially at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was trying to figure things out, that absolutely had a play in what we were doing because outpatient clinics were closing down, home services weren't really happening. But now that everyone's kind of, I kind of figured out what they're doing in this thing, it's a little easier. So it's not as much of a barrier now as it was in March and April, because we'd send people home and then it'd be weeks before someone would come to the house. So we tried to, I know for myself, I would give a very dense exercise program, which I don't normally do because that's very overwhelming to give, but I'm aware that it might be a long time till you receive further care. Yeah. But it seems to be a little better now from what I'm hearing from my patients now. 
and people were, and then, okay, so I'm, I'm there in two, two months and I'm gone. More or less, that's okay. Then it's okay now, you know, it's two months and then I'll go home. Yeah, for some people it totally is, but kind of like I stated before, it's so, it varies so much between people and like, what can your loved ones provide? Can they provide physical assistance? Who is going to be home? Are they leaving the house every day? Are they increasing their risk of infection to bring home to you? You know, yeah. so those are things I never thought I would ever have to really think about, right. um, but we exactly. put a lot more weight into it. I don't know why I didn't think about it. You guys were actually working like what they say in the fourth floor. So those are people that just got hurt. Three. Right? Yeah. Three. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, I don't know, do they even do it now? Like say like somebody gets hurt, but is like, is their wife even come to, to see them? And so no, we, they're still not there. Yeah, we still have a no visitor policy uh, um, for the most part. So it's definitely a lot. We're just really trying to get the families as connected with the patients. So like Sarah said, if they don't have their own smartphone, we're incorporating families into a lot of our sessions more so yeah. than we ever have been before. Just kind of having them in the gym with us, showing them how they're moving around, um, dressing, doing different activities. Um, but it's definitely changed the way that we are providing care because you know, we know that mental health is a huge part of the recovery. And for a lot of these patients, like not being able to see their loved ones, their significant others is super saddening and disheartening. And so we wanna try and you know provide as much of that home, that family feel as possible. And so we know that it's important to have the families try to be involved as much as possible for the, limit, the limitations that have been put on us. And I am way more in contact with families now than I had I have ever been. Yeah. Um, I am updating them on the phone multiple times a week. I am trying to figure out how best to help them, what have they heard from the patient, and all that stuff. But we are doing a lot more of that communication to try to give you guys, you know, and our patients here, that kind of connection from home. Homesickness um, is not fun in the hospital. Also is the one... When I was the first, when I was in Chicago, first couple, uh, at night, for some reason, I don't know why, the lady that was the uh, the nurse, she was just like, kind of just like pushed me away. And so my wife just started doing the whole stuff. And like, she was like making me take a shower and like, you know, going to the bathroom. And my wife, she's not that, she had like different college. I can't even say the hard word, I can't say, but it had nothing to do with, with keeping me back to normal and everything. So is that what you guys kind of have to do that now? Or you should have like nursing more involved now that there's no family involved? I mean, I think we've all kind of taken on other roles besides our OT, PT and speech job. Um, you know, we're involved, like Sarah said, making more phone calls, helping with laundry even. Um, so I think we've all had to take on other roles than what we yeah had been doing before the pandemic. Just thinking about the managing of the cell phones. Mm -hmm. I mean, being able to keep your cell phone and know where your cell phone is mm -hmm. and actually keep track of your charger and make sure your sure phone is charged. charged. <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, all that. That's there. I, I, I couldn't do it. 
you know? It was very hard for me if I was without my wife and kids. Yeah. And now you have to do things mm -hmm. more. Yeah. Yeah. When we leave our patients' rooms now, I'm very, very like purposeful where everything is. Like, where is it in reach? Which side of the body? Do you know how to turn it on and off? Show me again. And then I tend to follow up a lot. You know, if I'm passing in the hallway and I pass your room, I'm just checking. And we all like, where is your phone? Did it get lost in the sheets? You know? Yep. That's, it's oh my. I even that, even that I can do it now. It's not good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, to piggyback on something Mike asked, so did you see a change in case management and insurance in terms of length of stay? Do they come in for family training and how do you manage that? And then... Yeah, family training has been also one of the toughest things. Uh, we really try to do as much virtually as we can. So having family members tune into sessions so I can show you everything. And then usually we try to set it up just like the day of their, you're leaving. Um, we kind of set it up so you can go to a separate area, do the training, and then leave from there. But that's also tough when you need a lot of help. And one time, one day is not enough. No. So there have been a lot of hiccups that we've had to navigate a lot of YouTube videos that we send to families, videos we send to families so they have it. So they're transferring the, you know, their loved one and they're like, wait, where do I put my feet? Where do I put my hands? Let me look back at that video Sarah sent me. And then, so that's kind of what we're trying to do, but it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine what that's like. People are already so anxious when they go home. I just cannot, Yeah. so just, challenging times oh yeah, yeah. it hasn't been ideal by any <laughs> by any means um and you're right you can talk someone through what the transfer looks like where to put your hands where to put your feet but until you physically do it it's 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 hard and so giving people like one hour of that um you know it's not ideal at all um but sometimes it's the first time they're laying eyes on each other right and what is your mind going through when you see your loved one for the first time in months? It is not, where should my hands go? <laughs> right, exactly. Am I leaning over far enough? Right. Yeah. 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 Or how do I work this wheelchair? Right, you know, right, right, right. It's not, you know, yeah. it's really tough. I have a question wow. about, um, how about like medicine? Because these people, like if they had a stroke or like me, I ended up, uh, oh, I still have it. There's an epilepsy. It took like, almost two years to, for me personally for the, the right medicine I was having seizures all the time I mean is that going to have people that just have like a stroke or you know where you guys work I mean people might be angry people might be like sleep nonstop. I mean like I mean how does that work you you have to tell like the doctor what's going on or oh yeah yeah, so I think depending on what we see in therapy we can make recommendations like we could say hey this uh, guy, he's really drowsy this morning, like not able to wake up. Is there some sort of like stimulant? Um, but for the most part, the doctors are in charge of the medication. Yeah. We can put our input in as how it is affecting us functionally during therapy. Um, but you're right, there's a lot of things to look at. Are they sleeping at night? Is their mood okay? Do they have any other medical concerns or conditions? 
Are you guys and even the medications themselves then can all react on each other? <laughs> is it? It's got good. Sorry. So I guess it's not good, but you're finding out more about like exactly what's coming out from a nurse, from a doctor. Like if they change the medicine, pretty much right away. Nowadays, is it better than mm-hmm. a yeah, year ago? Yeah, we're communicating pretty well mm-hmm. and pretty often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, because it's yeah. just you guys are there with the people that got hurt, you know. Yep. I see. I never thought about that. I I am going to Botox on Friday. You are, Kitty. Yeah. Where are you gonna get the Botox? Uh, feet (laughs) and hand. And the hand. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. (laughs) Are you having any therapy? Are you having any therapy in combination with that? No. Mm -mm. Or just getting the Botox? A Botox. Just they tell you time. just to move, practice. After you take it, it takes like two or three days. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't do it, then they'll just want to sit there and don't do anything. Oh, yep. okay. Okay. I didn't take it. I haven't had mine in months because my wife doesn't want me to go over to Walter Reed. So. Oh, hmm. Yeah, so do I. I don't know what to do now. Uh-huh. I hope so. So how about all of you think about the worst case that you've seen how do you overcome that and how did you kind of kind of rearrange your practice versus the guy or girl patient and so i often tell my patients like you go home with me I'm driving home and I'm thinking about you. I'm cooking dinner and I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about what else can I try? Therapy is trial and error. Some things work for people and sometimes it doesn't at all. Sometimes certain cues work for people and I have to adapt in the moment or I'm reflecting on it much later in the day. And I think, ooh, I probably should have done that a little differently. Let's see how tomorrow rolls. Um, so that's kind of the beauty, you know, our patients are here so I can come back tomorrow and immediately try something different or come back in the afternoon and try something different. But the toughest patients, they just require so much trial and error and a lot of patience and mental energy, right? You like leave the session, you're pretty drained and you got to put the pieces together and go to your next patient that you have to give the same amount of energy to. So you're that's not a, wrong. It's a little... That's a problem, and it's thank you because it's hard for everybody. But thank you again. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Big That's time. why we keep showing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, our caseloads vary all the time. And so one day something is difficult, the next day it's not quite as difficult. And I think it's just taking it day by day, person by person. Um, I try, and when I leave a room, like if something was extra hard or just like got to me really just take five seconds for myself before you Mm -hmm. hop into that next room but you're right i mean the difficulties can come in like cognition communication physical and so it kind of just depends on what's going on but it's a lot of just reminding yourself that this is like one moment in time and that you try again and you come back the next day um, and not getting discouraged by anything too i think is important Oh, Jessica, Jessica, you should speak with me to a, a 
uh, speaking languages. So are you asking about speaking multiple languages then? Uh, no, speaking. Yeah. Just talk to, to me. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. It's, I really enjoy talking to people. And mm -hmm. I think sort of piggybacking on what Becky was saying, sometimes um, people, you have to just kind of appreciate the very little successes and um, take some comfort and pleasure in the fact that maybe you didn't help the patient get exactly where you thought they could be, but you still made a little bit of progress and then that can continue day by day. So that kind of helps. Um, that's that's interesting. Do you speak any la languages besides uh, English? I, that's actually what I was going to ask all of you. <laughs> I just speak English and I can get by with some um, basic Spanish. <laughs> okay, because I speak Bulgarian as well. And sometimes I'll, I'll talk about, about people and then I'll say, oh, wait a minute, that's Bulgarian. I have to change that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I do it. speak Spanish and sometimes um, when I'm working with patients that speak Spanish, I'll go to my next patient and I'll realize that I was still speaking Spanish and I have to kind of reset. You, <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. I was pretty good the first couple years and I, I was, I think it was called a gibberish, but they told me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I'm good with gibberish. Are you pretty fluent in that? Fluent in gibberish? <laughs> yeah. And then they were like, no, you need English again. And I was like, what is that? So that was, I was the commander and that was good. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> so what was, I guess for, for you guys, for the PT, OT, or speech, what was one of the, you were really surprised, like how fast, like one person, I guess just one person, they came at, you thought they were really going to be really hurt for months or years, but they came back so quick. You, can you think of anybody or just one person you could think of? So Kitty, do you mind if I talk about you a little bit? Ooh. Yeah, no. So Kitty always comes to mind for me for a lot of things, but when Kitty came back after her cranioplasty, um, someone came by and said, Kitty's up walking in the room. And I said, no, I think you have the wrong person. <laughs> um, Kitty's not doing that. We're not really walking. Oh, sure enough, Kitty was up, like, walking across the room, going through her closet, finding a cute outfit. So that, <laughs> that just blew my mind. And we kind of talked about it with language, but with motor, it's kind of the same way. It's hit or miss. Some people come back, and they look like Kitty, like up organizing her closet but sometimes it doesn't but that that will forever stick in my mind when it makes when it makes a difference it's a beautiful thing mm -hmm. um, therapists keep their fingers crossed that their folks are going to be one of those people who get the benefit get a nice bump from that it is 11 o'clock on the button and what? i want to be respectful of my hospital-based therapist who i know run like <laughs> I gotta be surprised right this second. Oh, are those your NRH sneakers? Yes, I gifted Kitty that sneaker. That is my personal sneaker. <laughs> um, Kitty did not like the sneaker options we had here. You know what? That 
is how I know a true therapist when they literally give the clothes off their back. <laughs> oh yeah, I so said, do you like the or one that's Gary? <laughs> this happened for you. What do what, what do you need? I love it. I think you should hold up that shoe. I'm gonna take a quick picture. So it'll be in the comments. Many, many, many thanks to Sarah, Jessica, and Becky, Team MedStar NRH, who helped Kitty tremendously. Kitty, your face was just so bright. You were obviously so happy to see these ladies. So I know you made a huge impact in her life. And thank you for being with us. Thank you for all the work you do, plus all the extra stuff you're doing now. Thank you, thank you. Cheers to you, ladies. Let's take a picture, and then we're going to wrap it up. I'll put up on this episode of The Slow Road to Better. Our lawyers made us say this. This Disclaimers. What about disclaimers? Your opinion, the group opinion, is not valid. Well, it is, but it's valid, valid. But I'm having a disclaimer so that we don't get in trouble. Yes. Doctors. Doctors. Who's doctor? There's. Um. They. They. Their doctor. Yes. All right. Yes. So if people hear something on this podcast, you should ask. Your doctor. Doctor. Amen.